Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, girl. Welcome to Food for Thought. We're a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought. For gay sluts who love to read. I'm Tommy Pico, indigenous American poet, humorist, and I like to get choked out sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Surprising no one. I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and I would totally go straight for Zadie Smith as long as she's a verse top. She is. (laughs) She really really is. She's a fucking top. She topped that book. (laughs) She tops Nick Laird every damn night. Uh, I'm Fran, a writer, editor, and does anyone have an extra ticket to Michelle Branch this summer? (laughs) It's in New York. I really I need an extra ticket. Like, Girl, bye. Please. Please. Just They're sold out. His inability to get tonight. that ticket is why he's third tier of the game mafia. <laughs> oh my god. And not second. Okay. How dare you? But it's, it's but where true. was the lie? Where was the lie? It's okay. True. And I'm Dennis, and I'm a reader, writer. I'm the black Johnny Weir, but <laughs> except I also have a brain. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap, snap, snap. Dennis. Will you tell us what's on the menu for this episode? I am always ready. In this episode of Food for Thought, we indulge in a delightfully riotous queering of America. Joe shares a zaddy-licious impure thought. And we dive headfirst into the talk of the literary town, Zadie Smith's fifth novel, Swing Time. And... And. We got some candy for you for dessert. Yes, Thank we do. Yes. Take it away. Mmm, I hear some stomachs growling. I think it's time for our amuse-bouche section, our uproarious game segment, this time hosted by none other than Fran. That's right, bow to me. Today's game is called Six Degrees of the Gay Agenda. Um, My favorite agenda. That's right. As we all know, the gay agenda is a real thing, a product of the gay mafia, and a continued effort to crystallize the imminent and inevitable homosexualization of America. Snaps. (laughs) He keeps it all in his iCal. Yeah, okay, true. (laughs) That is actually true. It's a private iCalendar, though. So, I have in front of me a list of contemporary pop culture items, things, places, events, and stuff that you could potentially link back to the gay agenda and you thoughts in a high wire act of thought exercising is spelled T-H-O-T, T-H-O-T will tell me in six degrees or less Oof. how this thing links back to the gay agenda. Right. How we're using it to make everyone gay. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Okay, thoughts. So let's let's start. I'll I'll start with an easy one. Okay. Donuts. Okay, I got this one. Oh, Tommy. Yeah. God damn it. Okay, taking the easy one. A donut is a thick ring of deep fried dough Mm -hmm. that is the preferred dessert of one Homer Simpson on the television show The Simpsons. Now, Homer works. That's one degree. 
at a nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Now, the um, weaponization of nuclear energy took place in a shady oh, government project called the Manhattan Project. Indeed. That was supported by, or that was led by the U.S., but supported by the U.K. and by Canada. Canada, whose prime minister is Justin Trudeau, Who's, who could A, yeah. both get it, get it and can plank. And yeah. a plank is when your body goes stiff and you hold oh it. And God. a stiffy is another word for a boner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, game over. Tommy wins. <laughs> Tommy wins. I'm that not doing it. any. That was it. <laughs> I have in that front of amazing. me also a key in which you could link the thing back to the gay agenda in a way that I thought it could work. And all I wrote was, uh, gay mafia incentivized nationwide dessert trend to sell straight mouths, doughy, white glazed anuses. Next. <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, have you seen One yes. Have you seen the meme with the donut sitting on its side with like a bunch of extra glaze coming out of the middle? I, I've that seen, just looks I've like, seen I mean, the meme. I mean, that looks like a cream it pie. Looks what like is it? Like a Ryan Tricarton who party. did that? It's yes. just horrifying. Well, yeah. And I have always said that I feel complete when there's a dick inside me that's where I'm a bottom Ew. and I, I make the analogy Ew. like a donut hole going into a donut uh, but that's moving not, on no one, uh, no one does that no one okay. does that I know but it's because I love donuts so much the oh. next thing is tidy whities okay 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 oh my god As a frequent and regular that's tidy whities wearer <laughs> um I want Still? to take this one on yes Still? although I will tell you that I don't wear white ones because I prefer black ones. But here we're going to go. All right. So, tidy whiteies, first of all, are the primary underwear to give um, a really angelic quality to the form of a man. Of any kind of underwear, you can see all of the details about a man's body oh, when yeah. he's in briefs. And that VPL. is... So first, so first of all, what that tells you is that every homosexual in America was getting their rocks off before they knew they were gay. Absolutely. Looking at Fruit <laughs> of the Loom packaging, right? Also, absolutely. Yes. Do you know what happens when you get tidy whities wet? What? You see everything. They're you see, they turn into... Uh, this, I'm taking this line from underwear. It's tidy saran wrappies. Mm. Oh, yes. my God. So and basically, so, like, condoms. Yeah, like when you're swimming as a little boy and everyone gets their tidy whities and then they're all of a sudden, you know, it's like... Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's the gay amazing. agenda. Nudie patootie agenda. Yeah, nudie patootie. Like, literally going and taking little boys and making them homosexuals. That's exactly. what tidy whiteies yeah. do. That's, that's what they did to me. Our next thing is Kristen Stewart. Okay, I got this one. I don't even know. Uh, who this is that Tommy. Is. <laughs> okay, just <laughs> <hashtag> Twilight. <laughs> hashtag okay. lesbian. Okay. Just oh. go for it, Tommy. Okay. Well, first of all, Kristen Stewart's gay as fuck now. So like that's one degree. Just but <laughs> if we want to, she you doesn't. Know, no, I need. I need. An, I'm. A, I'm an around the way girl, so I'm going to do this a long way. Uh -huh. So Kristen Stewart. Uh, has been trolled by the authoritarian cheese it in chief now because of the way her relationship with uh, Robert Pattinson ended. Robert Pattinson, who she met on the set of Twilight, Twilight, which I've never interacted with it personally, but as I assume it's about vampires. It now, is. these vampires can go out in the daytime sometimes because mm -hmm. they're in the Pacific Northwest because it's covered by clouds, right? Forks, Washington. Mm -hmm. Near to my so, hometown. So it was filmed in Vancouver, Vancouver, yeah. Canada, whose Prime Minister Justin <laughs> Trudeau. <laughs> Game over. Can get it. Any can plank. And plank is when you hold your body stiff. And a stiffy is another way for a boner. Game over. I am Game done. over number two. All right. All right. But, All right. But, but, wait. Well, I appreciate Around the Way Girl and Around the Way Story as I am a novelist. I'm also just going to say that I did read the Twilight books and I did see the Twilight movies. And the minute she appeared Don't on screen, I was like, girlfriend. I will, I will admit it because I learned some <laughs> lessons. But the point is, the minute she stepped on green screen i was like girl you are not convincing anyone that you like dick oh. it's just not it's true. her acting chops are not good enough for uh, that. oh my god Whew. 
tell us how you really feel, Dennis. Yeah. Um, okay, this next one is really dear to my heart. It is Solange Knowles' infamous 2014 elevator scandal. Yes! Oh, my God. For those of you who don't know, in 2014, Solange was caught in a videotape inside of an elevator attacking Jay-Z while Beyonce just stood there and watched. It was very awe-inspiring. And there was no audio, so it is to this day a mystery as to why it happened. Indeed. Okay, so... Oh. Go, go, you go, you go. Okay. I took, first of all, that's the blackest thing that ever happened. And mm. to me, Once again, blackness this is, is queerness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Dennis talking. Um, Sharp but really, okay, here's where I feel like it links to making America queer. First of all, that moment, I feel like was the moment when everyone fell in love with Solange Knowles. Because mm-hmm. she was protecting her big sister from Jay-Z. And I mean, so, some of us loved her before because of her amazing yeah, music. Me including me. But including all me. Of us. Shout out to Soul Angel and the everyone else was catching up. She went from the gay mafia to the rest of America. So, to the rest moment. of America right. mafia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, because of that, what she did with her album, as well as what Beyonce did with Lemonade, mm-hmm. was to actually take the scene, the context within, within which they were working, and make it better. You're talking we about a seat at the know, table? I'm talking about a seat at the table, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about Lemonade. Mm-hmm. We all... The, like. The Noel sisters in 2016 completely revolutionized music okay. and what it is and what we're doing and what mm. albums are. Okay. And that to me links to what the gays often do, which is sometimes problematic um, with gentrification, where they'll go into particular areas and they'll make everything sort of quote unquote better. But mm. my point is, is that black women actually make everything better and they make everything better for everyone, um, including queer people, because everyone saw the motherfucking self in those albums. Every motherfucking person was like, I see myself in this. I see myself in this. And so to that me, that's what ma- queerness does. That made Gay America 2016. That yes. one moment in yes. the elevator yeah. that everyone mm-hmm. was privy to made lemonade and a seat at the table. Yes. Thank you so much, Solange. You do so much for us and we do nothing for you. Really they gave don't. us. I mean, we, we do. We, well, we do buy her albums. At least true. I do. I give you money. <clears throat> that's that's true. Yes. what I do. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Just bought panorama tickets. If I ever see her, I will like salute her and bow down and then buy her a drink. I would do everything for her. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly. What's next? Next on our list, we have Shonda Rhimes. So I took this one too, but I don't. It, it's basically Dennis. the same thing. So I, oh, oh, just that fair. she makes everything that she and black women make everything better, and that's what gay people do. Okay, wait. I want to. Oh, oh, this do is Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Let me. Okay, I, I haven't thought this through yet. So this is like very raw, and baby. I like it raw. Um, so Shonda Rhimes made a show called Scandal. Scandal Ooh. stars Carrie Washington. It does Carrie Washington was in a movie called Django Unchained, directed by um, Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino dated Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho was, uh, went to high school with um, uh, Aisha Tyler. Aisha oh Tyler filmed a television show Tommy. with Stuart Townsend Tommy. in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> this is more than six degrees. Disqualified. It is more than six degrees, but it's, it's good. It's, it's good. good. It's still good. It's good. Oh. My God. Okay. I mean, that's amazing. That was much better than the one that I had. <laughs> Our next one here we have is Aaron Carter's 2000 smash Tommy, hit, Tommy. I Want Candy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy got this one. Tommy, Tommy got this one. Okay, so Aaron Carter's <laughs> alleged hit song in the early aughts, which is a cover called I Want Candy, um, which is a song that I haven't heard all the way through before. Another song that I haven't heard <laughs> all the way through before is Oh Canada, <laughs> the national anthem of Canada. <laughs> Uh, we're all moving to canada someone's thirsty i like it 
Our next one is actually my favorite one, and I will be impressed with a thought who can figure this one out. Okay. Okay. It is the 1996 TV series, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh my God, I've got it. Okay. 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 (laughs) Sorry. Dennis again. First of all, you need to know that because I grew up in a super conservative home, I used to sneak out of my house to go to my next door neighbor's house to watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. This occult-ass show. This occult-ass show because my mother would not let me watch it. So... Both my life speaks to this in terms of how I watched the show and the show itself. But the show is about Sabrina, who is a teenage witch, and she lives in Salem, Massachusetts with her two aunts, who are also witches. The whole point of the show is that as she's learning how to, like, use her magical powers and, like, be a functional witch in her society, she also has to be sort of in the closet, so to speak, as a witch in her society because they cannot let anyone know, right? So her aunts are... her aunties, aunties, her aunties are guiding her through her life. She falls in love with super hunk Harvey. Her arch nemesis at school finds out, I believe, that she is a witch and tries to out her as such, <gasps> only mm-hmm. to have that plan foiled because obviously Sabrina and her aunties are master witches. And so to me, the entire um, conceit of Sabrina the Teenage Witch is a metaphor for being closeted, as is the fact that I snuck out of the house to watch it, just like I did, to read out magazines. I have a commentary. Okay, go for it, Joe. answers are always like this to this to this to this to Canada, (laughs) and Dennis' answers are always not even the game. It's always just one degree of separation to a story about his life. (laughs) 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 On brand. (laughs) It's like... I yeah, you took the same route that I would have taken. Except <laughs> I would have departed and said that the aunts were clearly not related and they were lesbian lovers. Yes. Lesbian and lovers. they were right. destigmatizing domestic lesbian relationships for a And anytime audience. you bring talk about you degrees of separation. So <laughs> they were both born in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> in Massachusetts is actually in Canada. Canada. <laughs> and we're out. Our <laughs> last one that we have here is Avocado toast. Okay, avocado toast. This is Tommy. Avocado toast is a product, I believe, that originated in Australia. An Australian import to the United States that we wish we could send back is Mel Gibson. Now, Mel Gibson. <laughs> now, Mel Gibson. I think you know. You think I'm going to go with the Gallipoli route, but actually, Mel Gibson uh, starred in the original Mad Max. Mad mm-hmm. Max, which was later. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a sequel or if it was remade with Charlize Theron, who was like the Dennis head butch in chief uh-huh. on that <laughs> motherfucking movie. <laughs> She mm-hmm. played uh, Eileen Warrenos in Monster. Her girlfriend was Christina Six. Ricci. Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci was in uh, Casper with Devin Sawa, oh, who was in... and love that movie. And also with uh, uh, Gabby Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman, oh who was in Transparent, Nine. written oh by God. Jill Ten. Soloway, who's friends with Michelle T, who taught Eleven. at the somehow, summer, uh, the Tin House Summer Writers Workshop 2016, where we all met each other. And if oh. that ain't a gay motherfucking tidal wave, I don't know what is. Oh. Yes. yes. Brought us together. Avocado. Auto toast brought us together. That is, I mean, that's totally untrue. I hate you. you. I hate your brain. Your brain infuriates me. (laughs) Also, none of us eat avocado toast. I totally Um, eat avocado toast. Actually, I do eat avocado toast. It's so expensive. I make it at home myself. Okay. Oh, no. I buy it because I'm lazy. No, no, no. No, I understand. Okay, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but really, I fucking love avocado toast. For our next segment, Impure Thoughts, spelled T-H-O-T, T-H-O-T. Uh, Joe has a dispatch from Slut Country. Go with it, Joe. Hi, everybody. So... Put that microphone in your mouth like a dick. <laughs> oh, my <Story>. God. <laughs> 
comes from a few years ago. And it was a time in my life that was full of changes. I had just finished grad school and I had broken up with like my first boyfriend that I really thought we were going to get married. We were making plans to move in together and all of that freaked him out and he kind of ran away. Right How long had moment. you been together? We've been together two years and it was like he left like three days before I handed in my like dissertation which was like a really hard time for me so it was really <laughs> awful timing and i feel like i'm the type of person where like when i'm in a couple i'm always like god if i were broken up right now i would be out slutting it up <laughs> and then when it happens when i like break up with someone i like don't want to drink i don't want to have sex i like shrivel into myself and so i'm kind of, i was in that period it was like maybe, i know i get so skinny i love myself <laughs> yeah, so but it's like what's the point if you can't like actually your body doesn't want to fuck so i'm in this period and um my parents had come to town for my graduation and I'm still like not really drinking and not really going out, but it's supposed to be a celebratory weekend. So after my parents go to bed, they're staying in my apartment. Um, a friend takes me out for a drink. And so we're just out. It's kind of like 1130 or so getting a drink. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go home soon. And I get that text message. You guys know that text message when you get a message and it's clearly like, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I get it. And it's from a, a thought. Um, who used to live in New York, and we have known each other for years as friends through friends. And he had moved to DC, and he said, "Hey, I'm in town." And that Check was on it. me tonight, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And but he thought I still mm-hmm. had a boyfriend, so I text him back, which is totally normal because we would hang out as friends, whatever. I text him back, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm out in Hell's Kitchen." Mm-hmm. Dot dot dot. And I'm single. <gasps> okay. Right? Because right. I, because I was. Trumps. He mm-hmm. trying to get that archival mm-hmm. dick, y'all. Mm-hmm. Got about um, about but I never ago. had... It's important to know I've never had that dick. Like, we had this flirtatious relationship where we'd make Ooh, out... so it's simmering. It's like... It's been simmering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been simmering. For thought. And it's been simmering <laughs> for years, right? Ooh. So, But my parents are staying in my house. And oh, he and he, he's staying okay. at his parents' house in oh. East Flatbush. Like, oh. far. That's when you get a, red, a room at the Red Roof Inn. <laughs> <laughs> Like Rude. fucking Middleburg, Ohio. Exactly. That was a dig. Hashtag been there. <laughs> that was so a dig at Dennis who frequently fine. stays at Red Roof. <laughs> um, so, no, stayed in my past. Let's be clear. Okay. She mm-hmm. Airbnbs it now. Okay. So Thank we you. meet up. Just learned as what of, Airbnb as of two weeks was. ago. She Airbnbs it. Have you guys heard about this thing called Airbnb? <laughs> it's like that's so a text great. I literally you don't have sent to get them. a hotel. So so he texts me. We meet up. We meet up at the the Gay Country Western Bar in Hell's Kitchen, which is a thing and a thing. It's Saturday night, and I go up there and it's midnight. And again, I had like one beer because I'm stressed. I'm not feeling in my body. We meet up there, and he is show wasted, y'all. Mm. Wait, but like sloppy drunk. And we like question: does, Do you feel like when you are not as drunk as somebody else, you that that gives you a little bit of power? Oh, I not I, in like a weird yeah. like uh, not in like a sexual assault kind of a way, but like you know when I, I definitely <laughs> had control. I don't mean I like you ruined somebody. That's what I'm trying to talk about. I definitely had control of the situation, right? And it was we were both thirsty, but I like I knew that I. I knew that I could, like, at that point, like, kiss him if I wanted to kiss him. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was, all the signs were there, right? But the thing is, and I've never told this part of the story before, that he Ooh. was at the bar with someone who I think also had a crush on him. Ooh. And he oh. ends up kind of dropping oh. that boy and talking more to me. And we kiss a little bit. But it, it's, now it gets Such to, like, turn on. it gets to, like, two in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And he's gotten progressively more drunk. Mm-hmm. And this and is so, four hours past Tommy's bedtime. <laughs> Tommy would have gone to bed ages ago. I'm in my covers. No, even, even with the possibility I'm having like a weird dead. dream about like having a cat and I never feed it but it keeps <laughs> getting bigger like you know so we he asked me like can I come stay with you and I and he's he stayed at my apartment many times because he's had to go back to his parents he doesn't want to do it we, we were friends right and so I'm like no because my parents are staying with me you really can't come stay yeah um but he, you know it's the point where I'm not I'm worried about him getting home 
Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. genuinely worried about him getting home. So I say, okay, fine. You don't want to be a subway statistic. Do not, yeah. I, like, and it's my friend. I, I love him. Like, I want him to be alive tomorrow. I don't want him to, like, die. Such a humanitarian. You know, I, I try to be a good person. Um, so we get in a cab and we go back to my apartment. But I tell him on the way, like, my parents are staying over. And I'm staying in my roommate's room because he's out of town, right? So my parents are kind of set in their ways and they can't sleep together in a double bed anymore so my dad was sleeping in my bed and my mom was sleeping on the couch so I'm like we'll get in we'll like tiptoe past my mom I mean, it's like we're in high school right? Oh, we'll like tiptoe past like my that. mom yeah, we'll like yeah. go into my roommate's room very important to note that we're not staying in my bed right mm-hmm. and we'll go and we'll like go to bed Mm-hmm. So we get in and we tiptoe past my mom Ooh. and she's like, doesn't wake up. And we're like, <laughs> you know, and it's really cute. So and we get into bed and, and, and Omar, his fake name, um, he gets totally naked, totally naked is so, but like not out of sexual energy is just drunk. So oh. we kiss and we're going to bed. He gets butt naked and we kiss in bed. But then we fall like just I'm just like it's just too much crash. Just yeah. he is just pa- literally passes out. Right. So <laughs> I fall asleep here. And um, what I don't know. So also I should mention this is a Saturday night, the night before Father's Day. And we have a brunch plan the next day to, to go out with my father for Father's Day. Well, so I'm what so I, anxious right what now. What I don't know is that at about 530 in the morning, we got into bed at about three. Omar gets up and goes to the bathroom. NBD happens, still butt naked. And he comes out of the bathroom, but he forgets that I'm not staying in my own room. And again, he's been in my apartment many times. So in his drunk state, instead of making a slight left to go into the room where I'm sleeping, he makes a hard right and goes into my room where, I'll remind you, my father is sleeping. Oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God, oh my God. So he doesn't know. Does not realize and gets into bed naked. I just crawled out of myself. I'm sorry. I can't do this. I can't do this. I thought I could do this. I can't do this. I have an aneurysm. Oh, my God. My father, meanwhile, wakes up to a man that he did not know was in the house. And and this Omar is a lot of man. He like 6'2". He used to be a dancer. Great body. The biggest flaccid dick I've ever seen in my entire life. Important details. Right? And my dad dad wakes up with this strange man in his bed. (laughs) Father's Day morning, 5.30 a.m. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Happy Um, Daddy's Day. My father scoops him up bodyguard style, carries him back across the hall in his arms, dumps him back in bed with me. And shuts the door. Oh, so, so, so you don't know. <laughs> I wake up the next morning and I don't know what's happened, y'all. Oh, I do not know. I wake up. I'm like, oh, Omar's in bed. He's still naked. He's probably still drunk. I like go out and make coffee. I'm having a normal morning. I feel fine. Not hungover because I wasn't drunk the night before. Mm-hmm. Making my coffee. And my mother goes, <clears throat> Is your friend still here? <laughs> and I oh my lost my shit. I because I had no idea. My stomach fell out through oh my anus. Oh my god! And she was like, "You should apologize to your yeah. father." Oh god! Oh god! He what did you do? Was so upset at five thirty when he couldn't get back to bed. Oh. He went to Starbucks and spent four hours reading oh! in Starbucks. Oh my god! Because oh my he, god, he was just upset and like because he saw that, that so. large flaccid dick and was like, mm, no, uh, no, Tommy, no, Tommy, Tommy, oh, oh you took it behave. there. It was oh. it was the worst brunch of my life. Oh. I, I felt hungover even though I wasn't, and 
And Omar didn't believe me that this had happened. I texted him being like, my father really appreciated the cuddle last night. Oh. And he was like, what are you even talking about? No recollection of it whatsoever. Oh it was years. It was years before we could see each other. We saw each other for the first time in three years this oh last my year. God. It was just like we had to talk about it and we couldn't talk. It was so much weight between us that we couldn't even like be that friends is... for a while. I'm just imagining so your much. dad coming in your room yes. and like kicking open the door. I know. And yeah. I know. I know. I know. Oh, I mean, really, does someone post Kevin Costner as that image and you're like, good to go? <laughs> Seriously, the, I mean, that is the most heartwarming part about this story is that when your My dad... My dad is a good person. He did, like, so many right things and gave me a big hug at the end of the day. My parents knew that I was upset because I had lost this person who I love very deeply mm. and there was all these changes in my life. He just gave me a big hug and he was like, I love you and, you know, no matter what, I love you, basically. And it was just like holy shit, my parents are good people and I don't really deserve them. Right. I mean, oh, that... you absolutely do, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Queens. Yeah. So that's my, like, kind of not impure, but really impure thought. Oh, it's... I mean, I didn't even get laid. That's the fucked up thing. <laughs> Everyone else's impure thought story. At least they got some D from it. I didn't even get D. That's but true. to me, the the best the best thing about your dad waking up uh, next to a Jimungo stranger yeah. naked in his bed is that he didn't freak out. He's like, intruder. He was like, oh, my son's such a turbo thought. <laughs> this, <laughs> this has got to be one Let of his take sluts. his trick back to his room. <laughs> hey, hey, mama, I, guess I will, run. This I will is return this his slut to him. Yes. <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. Is so That's true. just true love. That That's is family. Yeah, that is, that is if things love. had gone better, it could have been some morning thoughtiness. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Thank my takeaway from that story is that I I'm not the only one at this table who likes a baby arm dick. Ew. I mean, but I've never had the baby arm dick. Stop, Stop talking about baby arm dicks. <laughs> to this day, I've never no, had the baby always. arm dick. No, you Fran, you have to cheers with me across the table mm. because I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, Joe. Uh, Merchandise yeah. coming soon. Tiny keychain baby arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. It is absolutely it is, time, that we, move on. Still time, time that we move on. Let's go. Let's I can't go. sit in the shame of that story any longer. Let's go. <laughs> mm, I think it's time we get to the meat of our conversation, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And today we're doing our hot take on Swing Time by Zadie Smith. So full disclosure... My suggestion that we do a book club episode is extremely selfish in origin. I know. Pick (laughs) pick your jaws up off the ground. (laughs) I'm shocked. But I didn't do literature as an undergrad, and I really just wanted the excuse to talk about books with people whose brains I really respect. Um, But unfortunately, I have to settle with all of you. (laughs) 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 Anyway, (laughs) so Swing Time is Zadie Smith's fifth novel, and it takes place over the course of 30-something years in the life of an unnamed narrator who wittingly or unwittingly places herself in the shadow of other women throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Her childhood best friend, the talented and troubled Tracy, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who she meets in dance class. Her whip-smart, somewhat aloof, politically ambitious mother. The restless, world-famous pop star Amy, who, as as an Australian, is, in my opinion, a thinly-veiled Kylie Minogue. I disagree, but we will get to that. Um, And the narrator works for her in her 20s and 30s as a personal assistant. And I think, too, Hawa, who is this, like, sparklingly charming teacher at an unnamed West African village where Amy, the pop star, has decided to open a school for girls. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury. 
because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Hi, it's Laverne Cox. And on my new podcast, The Laverne Cox Show, we're ripping the Band-Aid off trauma resilience, dating, diet culture, dating, white supremacy, dating. Okay, I'm not going to get explicit, but just because you're cute, like, I'm not going, I'm not going to... <laughs> I know what you were going to say. Yes, girl, I've been there. And honey, we have a lot of fun along the way. <laughs> you have a lot of lesbian fans who love your femininity and glamour, and they just really, really want you. And, and... I want us to talk openly about the difficult things we all face as humans and as humans in America. Racist white people in the United States will sign their own death certificates. They will vote for policies that crush them, no safety nets, no health care, because they feel too much like entitlements. And those are folks of color, right? Listen to The Laverne Cox Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and share. And before we open this discussion up... I'm going to read a short passage. Joe, would you like to introduce the passage's content? It's from a section where uh, Tracy is a star of the West End stage, which is like England's Broadway. The narrator is actually working for her as a dresser. So the narrator is kind of backstage with her, which is a pretty you know, pertinent metaphor for the rest of the, the places that the narrator settles herself in in the whole book. Um, so, and she's setting up this illicit love affair between Tracy and one of her co-stars. Here we go. Theirs was an affair conducted in little pockets of time with no freedom to expand. On stage, they had almost no scenes together. Their characters came from two different worlds, a house of prayer and a den of sin, while offstage, everything was clandestine and harried. But I was glad to take on the role of intermediary, scouting out empty dressing rooms, keeping watch, lying for them when lying was required— it gave me something concrete to do with my time instead of wondering, as I did most nights, what on earth I was doing there. Okay, just 
a few quick housekeeping things. If you are someone who is looking to read this book in the future, please know that we will not be spoiling a lot of stuff until the very end of this right. conversation. So we'll give you a warning about spoilers, in which case you can fast forward to the end. Another thing I want to say is that just to set up, preface the dynamic of our conversation is that I and Tommy have never f- completed a Zadie Smith novel. We are Zadie, I hope Zadie you're not Smith to this. fans. I'm so ashamed in of them. In, in fact, theory, I, I don't know what that means. In fact, it means me, me, Tommy, I have never actually even started a Zadie Smith <laughs> oh, I started and then I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and, 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 and Zadie give, and, and Zadie and Joe. <laughs> I wish. Oh, there. <laughs> and Dennis and Joe are Zadie diehards. Well, kind of. De- I wouldn't Dennis say was like, diehard. Dennis was okay, like, this okay. is Zadie's best book. And I was like, well, what about Autograph Man? He was like, Autograph Man we're not even talking about, but what about White Teeth? What about NW? He was like, I've only ever read on beauty. So, I mean, <laughs> but she tries to be an expert. But Dennis loves her essays. Bits and, and pieces. Dennis reads a lot of stuff. It, and yeah. they do. Another quick um, disclaimer, axiomatic, if you will, is that yes. I have to say, I, shocking no one, procrastinated a lot on reading this book and I was reading it up until the very last possible moment and as a consequence of that I did reschedule a booty call that I had uh, yesterday <laughs> <laughs> in order to finish this Amazing. book I that, said that's I'm what so that text so, was about Amazing. yeah that's what that text was about and I just want to tell you how much I love you guys <laughs> how much this podcast means to me and I just do anything for you okay yeah. anyways the, wow. the first question I have regarding the book <laughs> <laughs> so is, shockingly, Fran made it all about him. Male <laughs> <laughs> self to cross on brand. Um, so Love. I think one of the most glaring choices in the novel for me is that the narrator doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. What uh, do yeah. y'all make of that? What about, we'll go to our I mean, fiction writer. Okay. Dennis. Well, I think one of the things is that it can, like, on the one hand, it can be kind of awkward to say your name in a first-person narrative, which is also something that we can talk about in this. Oh, because God, yeah. this is Zadie's first novel written in the first person, and even though I've only read one other novel of hers, I do know that. <laughs> she okay. did a beautiful job, though. Um, but I thought I thought she did a beautiful job, and even though I, but that's beside the point. So that's the one thing. On the other hand, obviously, people have been writing novels in first person for many, many, many years, and there are simple ways to get around the slight awkwardness of. Well, Announcing your name. And so, exactly. So, clearly, um, this was a choice for a particular reason. I think it made a lot of sense given um, the fact that this narrator throughout the novel, like, the novel is basically the story of someone always placing themselves in the shadow of somebody else. And that, to me, was such a powerful, powerful um, narrative. And so, it just made perfect sense. Like, I don't know how you could have named her Mm -hmm. and maintained that sort of theme throughout even if you were looking to sort of like have her surpass that or come out of that through the end of the novel and that's like what you were look, what you as a writer were wanting to do it would make sense to me to not have a name well, and also moment, a, na- a name the, adds definition right and mm-hmm. she seems pretty indefinite well, the moment and any moment where she steps out of the shadows like Tommy and I were talking about how we love the moment where she's in a bar with Amy her boss and goes up to sing I think that's Fran's favorite part too um, it's and, awesome. it's my and, favorite part and mm-hmm. that's a rupture yeah right mm-hmm. so anytime mm-hmm. kind of when she steps out of her, it happens with her mother a couple times when she steps out of her place in the shadows there's like a huge rupture with that person who's kind of holding her mm-hmm. uh, in her not necessarily in her place, but in the place that she also is choosing for herself. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there's a time. So um, the passage that we just read was um, from a part of the novel where Tracy, her childhood best friend, has just gotten a role in the West End stage in a revival of Guys and Dolls. And the narrator becomes the person who dresses her backstage. Literally dressing and, her. And uh, 
she had just gotten back from college and was um, had applied to a version of MTV and um, had just gotten the job. Right. And has to tell Tracy that she got the job right. and she's not going to be dressing her anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she knows that that's going to rupture. rupture their friendship. Right. Yeah, yeah. Anytime she does make a decision that defines her, it's always at the expense, at the expense. of a relationship. Right, 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 yeah. Right. I have a question about the narrator in the first person choice. Do you guys think that she's a reliable narrator? I mean, I I find her emotionally reliable. Like to mm-hmm. back up something mm-hmm. that Dennis said, like she she was a shadow in in all of the characters that she kind of interacted with in this book. But a lot of things that I was reading about the book were like aligning her with like Nick Carraway from The Great Gatsby. And Nick Carraway is like a liter- mm-hmm. literal shadow. Where like in in my opinion, the unnamed narrator in this book has so much more so so many more emotions mm. i mean like when the, she's like trading off when she's being bullied by literally every character in this book by amy the pop star by her mom by um tracy you can see her reactions and the emotional resonances that that mm-hmm. sit with her mm-hmm. as those things happen to her so when she ruptures those relationships i do feel like she is emotionally honest like she mm. is saying she is explaining to you how fucking lonely she is. Kind of She's finally so being emotionally honest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like that, to me, is was something that I could rely on. Did you have something, like, an, a, a part in the book where you were like, I don't know if I trust what you're saying. I mean, I, I think a lot of times... There are a lot did. of omissions yeah. also in the book. Like, yes. I've talked to people about all the omissions of, of the narrator's own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's no sex that the narrator ever has. And when there is when there well, is we'll sex... We'll talk about... Right. When we get into the spoilers. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean there's no sex scenes. There's yeah, no you sex don't scenes. See it yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. And so it and when scenes. when you know when when she does have it, it it happens and then it's and then you see her coming back from it, right? Mm-hmm. But you never see the act itself. Actually there aren't a lot of pleasurable moments for the narrator full stop, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. And so there is like, well, I think she's emotionally honest. And um, Zadie, I think, wrote in an essay one time about uh, writers she admired that um, David Sedaris has a way of having last sentences of his essays or chapters land on something. And she definitely tries to do that in this book mm-hmm. where like yeah. she'll write a whole chapter and then the last line of that chapter will kind of try to be an emotional period It's on sort of it. like, mm-hmm. and then yes. we never did the thing again. Yeah. Like, right, right. Yeah. Zadie but, always does But there's that. a lot of emotional mm-hmm. resonance. I, I found that like, 80% of them worked and 20% didn't and the 20% that didn't was a huge eye roll but the 80% that worked really had emotional impact for me whereas yeah. the rest of the chapter might not have had much or any emotional impact at all mm-hmm. so it does try to the narrator tries to land somewhere I think that she's sticking to the convention of the English novel in mm-hmm. a way where she's not like the narrator is not you know fully removed or fully flat the narrator is participating in building the story for sure yeah were there sure. p- parts that you identified with where hmm. you um, saw an interaction or you th- there was something in the in the novel that was quoted that you were like oh I recognize that feeling or I know that person or I've been that person because there is one for me in particular um, when she's talking about privilege and she's talking about Amy specifically and there was like this is one of my earliest lessons in her way of viewing the differences between people which were never structural or economic but right. always essentially mm, differences of huge, personality huge. and i was like i see those people all, all the, the time, time. who all can't time. who do not know how to differentiate between structural and personal yep. um interactions between people you know oh my god i mean that's so real this is like kind of a different context and like sort of in a lot of ways less intellectual but it did strike me um and i have a connection to that which is that so i had tweet i tweeted a few days ago because i also waited until the last minute to read this book shocking no read, one shocking no one i'm not an organized person um i tweeted that 
page 127 um reminded me a lot of the psychology that I see of the person who runs the organization where I worked. Um, yeah. What's the where context I, sorry, the where I currently work. So basically in that passage, at this point, she's working for the celebrity that she works for, Amy, and she's talking a lot about how in Amy's um, endeavor to sort of lessen global poverty, they're doing this big project in West Africa, um, that a lot of Amy's thinking about it and a lot of her interactions with people. And specifically, the project is a school for girls in yes. West Africa. The, sorry, the project is a school for girls. Basically, the idea that if we can educate women worldwide, then poverty will be lessened, which is, I think, like an amazing and perfect and wonderful but theory. Con- but education is context. But education right. is context. Education is so many things. And how, and like, so, Amy, I love how clueless Amy is of what actually happens and just, like, tries to theme it around the title of her albums and things like that. It's right. So She's like, oh, true. like that album where I had lyrics that were all about empowering oh, yeah, girls. Exactly. That should be the, the theme for the curriculum. Academy. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's amazing. Oh. So there's one sentence there that I thought was amazing, and it said, but I knew Amy herself had no abstract interest in power. She was motivated by something else, impatience. To Amy, poverty was one of the mm. world's sloppy errors, yep. yes. one among many, which might be easily corrected if only people would bring to the problem the focus she brought to everything. Yep. This reminded me a lot of the person that I, that I, not the person I work directly underneath, but the person who runs where I work. And then there was another section just a couple pages later. And the cheese later. it in chief, come on now. And the cheese it in chief, come yeah. on. And there was another sentence that I'll read very quickly that really struck me and sung, summed it all up, which was on 134. And it was, I thought about, this is in reference to Amy, the narrator has smiled at her and she says, I thought about what it must be like to live in this world of shifting facts that move or disappear depending on your mood. Because that's Mm. such an interesting mindset to have when you are the person who holds the power and the keys in this situation. And it did make me think about a lot of systemic things, um, systemic oppression, because there's always this idea that when you are in the group that is marginalized or has less power, you have to know the person who holds power over you Mm -hmm. better than they know themselves so that you can survive them, that you can survive their whims, their ideas, their emotions. You have to be able to work around that. This is right. This is not a new idea. It's a sociological idea, but you found it so clear clearly here in her relationship with Amy and of course to some extent you see it in her other relationships because again she's always in the shadow of the person that she's kind of like supporting or relating to. Yeah I had an ex hi this is Tommy. I had an ex who is continues to be a personal assistant to a a fine artist. Yeah and um, he, he would talk to me about similar exercises that he would have to do with her so that like the truth of the world like that that, so that the criticism would ever not not ever actually make its way to her Um, but she would get the message without she would get there were she had intermediaries in every aspect of her life who would buffer the information you know what I mean and take the brunt of it but the narrator of this book recognizes that she benefits from some of that same privilege because she talks about going to this West African village and not understanding how long it took the girls to get the water, not understanding like how that by the time she was done with breakfast, preparations were already being made for her dinner that like she didn't have to squat down to eat food with her fingers. Like Mm -hmm. she was given cutlery because like they knew she couldn't deal with their world, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm. Um, another thing, though, like, so I think, like, in a large part, I think this novel deals directly and indirectly with power For and, sure. and mm-hmm. systems of power. And I thought the clearest revelation of this or, or enumeration of this was on page 316 when she goes Tommy, to Tommy, I have that quote out right here. <laughs> oh my God. I have the same quote. <laughs> but it's when she goes to the um, Kunta Quinta Island where slaves were being put onto boats for 
the, the middle passage. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's there and she's like waiting to have some kind of interaction. She's waiting the, to have some kind of generational interaction with this space. That the idea of the middle passage is a recurring metaphor throughout the book, right? This kind of jump, also jumping off the ship, she uses it as a metaphor for um, adolescence at a time. So this is like a recurring theme for mm-hmm. her in the book, for sure. Yeah. In this storied corner of the continent, I experienced it not as an exceptional place, but as an example of a general rule, power preyed on weakness here. All kinds of power, local, racial, tribal, royal, national, global, economic, on all kinds of weakness, stopping at nothing, not even the smallest girl child. But power does that everywhere. The world is saturated in blood. Mm-hmm. Every tribe has their blood-soaked legacy. Here was mine. Mm. <sighs> There's also a passage when she talks about a cult leader who's explaining how everyone in power, you know, Jewish Hollywood or whatever, they're all controlled by lizards or whatever. And it's like, how do you talk about power right. when you don't have access to it? Right. How do you mm. how do you turn it into a narrative? And what the, do you do? The Illuminati is like a thing that is brought up by one of the characters, by Tracy, actually. Um, and, and Tommy and I were talking about this. And it just, it's just like the, the narrator in this story has so much access to power through her relationship with Amy. Right. Her access to power is contingent on that relationship. And so whether or not she keeps it relies on her still being this shadow person. Mm -hmm. But she knows kind of how the world of celebrity and wealth works. And then the way that her childhood friend who also grew up kind of in poverty sees power is through the Illuminati. Right. Because there's no she has no it's like, you know, that there are these forces that are controlling the world that are beyond your vision and beyond your ability to to access that world. And so it's helpful to construct a narrative something like the illuminati or some other anything because we're to understand power because that's just what we do naturally we narrativize experiences we're all in this room sitting down here now because we're all writers and we turn our experiences into we we put the art in artifice you know what i mean so i mean (laughs) a lot of people would say that's what religion is that's that's what faith is is a narrative that's, that's one thing that is nice about this book is that you saw the same power structures and then you saw how the different characters all interacted with them and all constructed their own narrative like the mother in the story turns into a politician and that's not a spoiler because it happens fairly early on but like she deals with the power structures and her own desire for power Mm -hmm. by kind of investing in the structures that already exist and then trying to shift those power structures maybe more towards justice Mm -hmm. right so it's like all of these characters uh, in the story (laughs) have access to power in certain ways and then also that access is contingent on them making certain compromises which Mm. for me that definitely resonates right like any access that we get in a capitalist fucking horrible world to power does come with certain compromises well yeah because you have to make decisions and that's what the narrator is unwilling to do for example the decision that i made was that amy was a stand-in for kylie minogue (laughs) and apparently fran has some opinions about that i thought so too okay i thought so too my argument to that is that when i read the book i felt that zadie did a really effective job of creating a celebrity that to me, was unnameable and unmatchable uh, to one that I knew. The closest I could think of to a pop star of that kind of international fame was Madonna, in my opinion. My first thought was my Madonna, first thought but, was Madonna. But, but then I, she's Australian. Well, yeah. well, that's but the, I feel like that's a really futile detail. I think Zadie's 
choice to put her in Australia is Sadie's choice to put her in what I believe to be the second whitest place in the world. You know, I think it's a little more I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think it's that she also wanted the geography of the book to span the entire world. And so if she's Australian, she has an excuse to spend time mostly in London, to be mostly based in London because it's kind of like (laughs) I mean the main reason I want to argue that it's not Kylie Minogue is the little shade at night Kylie Minogue. And I'm sorry, she did not reach that kind of international pop thing. Not not in the United States. Not not in the United States. There's a scene at the beginning of the book where they're dancing to an Amy song when they're 10. But they're in London. That would have been true of Kylie Minogue in London. That was true of Kylie Minogue in London. Locomotion was the biggest. But I wanted to to talk about this a little bit in terms of like, she talks about being, uh, Tracy being a natural dancer. And in the scene that Fran loved so much, she makes the distinction of saying that Amy is not a natural singer. And the narrator actually is a natural singer. Which also made me think that maybe it was about, maybe it was Madonna. Well, oh yeah. I mean, oh, shade. I mean, to move on to something a little bit larger, that part of that passage that really struck me is that it was one of the very few moments where the unnamed narrator seized a moment of confidence. Like, there are just so few... Will you lay it out? Will you lay out the scene for us really quick? What happens is um, the pop star Amy and the unnamed narrator frequently go out for like girls' night, and they're they're kind of this. <laughs> superficial kind of thinly veiled thing that Amy doesn't really want to do with the narrator in my opinion but they mm-hmm. kind of acquiesce to do any uh, they kind of go to Marie's crisis in yeah. the West Village it's, they go to a piano exactly. bar yeah. and, it's, it's, and it's in New York City yeah, and it's, it's in the West yeah. Village yeah. it's more and the the act of them doing this is more like um, it's good for business than it is an actual well, thing that I feel like Amy wants to 30th birthday Right. But that's so, not why they're doing it. And so they're at this jazz bar that essentially has an open mic, and the unnamed narrator goes up to perform a song. The end of and the night. Any one of us, any fucking thought who's been in the West Village has had to, at one time or another, been subject to one of these piano bars uh, where yes. people get up to the mic yes. and they fucking sing their uh, their well. show tune. They yes. they they go, they go on there like I uh, cry, right. don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> but what's fantastic about this passage, and if you have the book, go read it. It's on 137. It is that the there's this huge paragraph that kind of runs through her emotional journey through getting up on the stage and singing. And it's yeah. a, a lot of it is like, okay, I'm getting up on the stage. Okay, the piano player is is playing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna sing now. I guess I'm singing. Yeah. I, I think I'm a good singer. I'm a pretty good singer. And then she Amy's disappears a singer. Into it. Yeah, and then she's like, Amy's a singer. Amy's not as good a singer as I am. Yeah. It's kind of like what she's saying. And she convinces herself that she is worthy of this moment. Yeah. Which like the only other time that I think I can think of is I would have to pull up the passage in my book, but there's this part where like she's speaking to Amy and Amy's trying to override the conversation with her own problems. Mm -hmm. And the narrator says, thinks something to herself. That's like, I convinced myself that I was worth a topic of conversation Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so in this moment, that's one of those spoiler things that we're going to talk about. later. Exactly. And so, and so I, I love this a kind of, to go back to the conversation of power, this relationship between someone's confidence rising in the face of what is totalitarian power. And, and hmm. in, mm-hmm. my, in my opinion, no, not in my opinion, surprising no one, Amy was my favorite character. 
character. Ah! Oh, surprising. She okay. No one. And, and she's obviously listen. She's obvi- she's a monster. Well, fucking duh. But we can still <laughs> we can still love villains. She's the obvious and she's obviously one of the many antagonists. I love you. Antagonists. I love you. Listen, so much. she's obviously one of the many antagonists in this book. Spoilers later. But she, to me, represented this thing that was in poor taste was done in a really harmful way to the the kind of psyche of the unnamed character making very conscious a very conscious decision to build the unnamed narrator's confidence by way of repeated abuse like oh, they're yeah. listen Fran, listen to me i i God. don't listen and by abuse i'm no i'm serious and by abu- that abuse is like too harsh a word for it when i'm thinking about the earlier stages of this novel later stages not so much not but so like much. in let's after this scene where they're at the jazz bar well, like what is shade Le- you know mm, what I mean? Exactly. Like when we're picking but, okay. at each other a little bit. I'm but sorry, but exactly. there's, a, there's a difference. First of all, let me the- finish my thought real okay. quick. Got it. Yeah, yeah. When this scene at the jazz bar finishes, Amy is gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the narrator is like, oh, fuck. I have to, oh, fuck. I write. So Amy is my boss. And she leaves the bar. And there's this badass scene where Amy pulls up in a limo. And she's just like, get in like yeah. bravo bravo that's what she bravo. says bravo. Bravo. she's slow clapping yeah. and she gets in the car she's a monster but listen that sound it's it's really it's really alarming and she did it in a way that was monstrous absolutely monstrous but when she got in the car she asked the, the narrator thing, the, the, yeah. she said what do you really want what do you really want to do what do you really want to do what do you really want to really fucking narrator. do with your life why did you like tell me why you were worthy of that moment mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she did that at the beginning of the book too when she's mm-hmm. first getting acquainted mm-hmm. with the job she's like tell me why you're worthy of this job i want you to convince yourself don't convince me convince yourself mm-hmm. and to me amy is con- was constantly doing that I want to pivot to what will inevitably be our spoiler section. Spoiler, 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 spoilers, spoilers, fast forward. So I want to talk about the title Swing Time as it relates to time and as it relates to the structure of the book. A way in which that I've tried to understand the title of the book was kind of the way that Joe talked about it in the sense that swing time, it swings back and forth as a structure. But another way that I thought about it was that in jazz music, so she's talking about dancing, and it references jazz a lot. The mm-hmm. scene wherein she's singing at the, the West jazz. Village karaoke bar, she references Nina Simone, yeah. you know what I mean? So she invokes jazz all the time. And in jazz, the word swing is used to denote when a master of the genre has been able to individualize themselves. Mm. So like swing is to jazz as flow is to rap. You can't notate it. You can't really define it. You just have to feel it. And so as it uh, occurs to this novel, I think it's an interesting exercise that Zadie Smith has decided to write from the perspective of pretty much the most boring character, the most indistinct. Has the least swing. The one without any swing. No swing. No swing. So, So maybe the narrator doesn't have very much swing time but where are ways where are moments in the book that swing Mm. what are the moments Mm. that make the book distinct where are moments in the book that make it different from any other book what 
can we spoil? Spoil's, spoil's coming. For y'all. Spoil's coming. Spoiler. Yeah, I mean, like, she sets up, I mean, she is incredible. Sadie Smith is incredible at dialogue as a writer. And she's mm-hmm. incredible at these moments that expand where she gives, and it happens in all of her novels, where a moment that could be two seconds takes on all of this weight for the whole novel. And, you know, the characters, uh, the narrator's father when she mm-hmm. sees him as a sad sexual being. Well, Tracy sees him. Tra- and then Tracy informs. So we don't really know if it even happened. Speaking of know. like unreliable narrator mm-hmm. of but that did, story. But what did, what, Tracy, what did Tracy suppose allegedly see? That he was um, having sex with a, a blob doll. That was, a, that was made to look like a black woman. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so we have that moment. We have the moment of Tracy and the narrator doing a salacious dance as children that we never really see defined. But that is videotaped. But mm-hmm. that's videotaped, but is never described. Like, what exactly is so scandalous? And so I find it really yeah. interesting. One thing Zadie has done incredibly well is these moments that carry so much weight throughout the entire novel are, in a way, the least well-defined moments in the novel. Absolutely, because through most of it, you know what color the walls are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know mm-hmm. what the people are wearing. You know if they have a fake nose ring or a real nose right, ring right, right. you know <laughs> the texture of their hair That's you know right. the way that they intone their voice but That's then right. these moments that actually yes, matter weight. like yeah. these yes. like those all seem like indispensable details but then it's like what did what it's did the narrator do lenses. with lemon yeah, yeah, what yeah. did yeah. tracy do with the narrator yeah, what did yeah. tracy yeah. do with her dad yeah, I mean, but, like, but first is of that all, like life you guys do you do you experience that, I, that in the moments that are so important in your life that like you couldn't recall the fucking details yes First of all, yes. Sorry. Yes. That is absolutely, <laughs> I think, very true of life as it all as as it is. But also, like, for me, as someone who's going through the process of writing a novel and really thinking through extending a narrative and making sure it carries weight from page two to page 298, I also think that there's a certain element of craft that goes into writing around pivotal moments in ways that make sure that they're memorable, but also that make sure that they will echo to the reader in later iterations in which you get the full picture, right? Because you have to keep the reader turning the page and interested, but you also have to make sure that they don't necessarily know that certain moments will be pivotal. Exactly. Pivot- I mean, pivotal. making yeah. love or porn. Yeah. yeah. In a way. I mean, yeah. Zadie, yes. Zadie loves Middlemarch. She loves the, As do I. I. I know you As do. do. That's why I'm bringing it up. She loves, she loves books that have been serialized in newspapers. Yeah. She loves so, And you can, well. you can tell that in her, this book yeah. and also in other books that she writes, chapters are very short. Mm-hmm. And at the end yeah. of the chapter, there's this resounding moment that eclipses right. into a moment that you don't get to see. Not every yeah. time, but I would say Often. most of the yeah. time. And I, it's a very conscious choice. And it's something that <laughs> she is attached to. And if... I were to revert back to like my um, like junior year like writing teacher, she would say, "It's a crutch. It's an obsession. Uh, you, uh-huh. you, it's something that that the writer is so true, prone yeah. to doing and so mm-hmm. so loves so much to do right. that they can't help but do every single time. And I, think and I don't. Yes. And you know, I, I think if she, if this was her first book, her editor might be. That's asking right, more right, of right. her but that's just the thing that happens when you become like a fucking this is Pulitzer nominated Zadie novel. is absolutely writing her obsessions here everyone's like mm-hmm. you're, you're, people always mm-hmm. say write what you know mm-hmm. Zadie here she as a writer is obsessed with dance it's not just that like you write what you know it's like you're also pulled to write about what mystifies you and that's like even more difficult in a way because it's like you have to write about something that you can't put your fingers in and touch it's like she might not be a dancer but she mm-hmm. wants to write about dance the you things know? that keep you up at night the things that keep you up mm-hmm. at night but you actually don't have 
access to. So I mm-hmm. think maybe that's one of the reasons why she puts the narrator in a position with so little access to so many things because she herself feels like she might not have access to the very things that she that she is most mystified by, the things that hold power to her that she can't actually lay her fingers on. And that you cannot resolve yes. something is a perfect place to end our yes. discussion. Yes. yes. Mm. I got that feeling that I'm full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I'm feeling. Always. So I think it's time for our dessert. This week it is Felix Gonzalez Torres. And could y'all take it away? I first interacted with this artist at a show that was at the Brooklyn Museum a few years ago, several years ago, that was about gay portraiture. And you walk through the whole show and there's a lot of gay portraiture that was very hidden uh, because, you know, being openly gay in the 19th century or, or the early 20th century wasn't allowed. And the last room was kind of the 1980s. And so it has is dealing a lot with the HIV AIDS crisis. And there was a pile of candy on the wall. And it was glittery and mystifying. And I was drawn to it aesthetically. And then when I learned about what it meant to symbolize. So it's a a work that's called Untitled. A lot of his works are called Untitled. And what it signifies was the death of his partner. And so the work is essentially a pile of candy and glittery uh, wrappers that are the exact death weight of his partner that sit up against the wall of a gallery or a museum. And the viewers are invited to actually take a piece of candy and eat it. And then when the death weight of his partner dwindles down to zero, they replace it with the exact death weight of his lover. Um, And I just bald like it is just aesthetically gorgeous and the idea of actually taking in the body of someone who has died of hiv particularly in the 80s and 90s kind of that ability to take their flesh and put it in your flesh which was Mm -hmm. such a taboo because we were so afraid of hiv positive bodies as a catholic person a person who was raised catholic the the notion of putting something on my tongue in that way that disappears that signifies a lost body um, reminded me of church and spirituality and this way of Every time your partner bo- your partner's body dwindles to nothing, that it's just replaced is one of the most gorgeous metaphors. So um, that that work to me is still one literal of my food for thought. Literal <laughs> food. Literal. literal food for thought. And, and the candy was delicious. The candy is, it was so scrumptious. It's scrumptious. <laughs> uh, I first <laughs> I first interacted with this piece when at the um, the Chicago Art Institute, which was one like one of my top five favorite museums like in the world. But I remember I went with my very first boyfriend. At the time. This is Fran you're listening to. Yeah. <laughs> who could have guessed? Um, and I remember uh, being like, oh my God, candy, and like eating it and taking it away and then not reading right. the plaque until like much later. Or the, not the, the levity of it. And it's so exactly. glittery. It looks like a circuit party, right? And, and so, like, that irony is just gutting. Well, it's, it's, um, it's almost. Well, it's an irony, of course, but it's almost like a bait and switch. Totally. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Felix did that on purpose. It was like Absolutely. this thing where he was like, here's this like gorgeous. I mean, I think about that when I think about the commodification of, like, gay men in yes. media and in mainstream, like, yeah. we're this mm. glittering, amazing thing that's, like, fabulous, Eat and we have all your punchlines and your me. secondary sitcom characters. Yeah. Like, we do all of that, and then, and then, and then we're you gone. are completely unaware of the trauma that is inside of the glittery yeah. rapper, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, to me, it's, it remains to be one of my most favorite pieces of yeah. art in the world, despite the fact that it's not a singular piece piece of art, it's an installation yeah. that you know has to be managed by like the the museum staff. Side note: I remember going back to the art institute to see the exhibit that was supposed to that was still supposed to be up, and it wasn't there. Yeah. And I remember freaking out and being like, "Where is it? Like, why isn't it here? It's supposed to be here." Blah blah. blah. And I like 
asked a security guard. He didn't know. Asked another security guard. And they were like, oh, we had to put it away because, like, it was a choking hazard. And, like, the kids, <gasps> like, oh. weren't, but, like, couldn't eat the candy. Oh my and God. I was like, fucking kids ruining <laughs> everything. <laughs> like, I remember kids being so mad at everything. Because I, it was a piece that, regardless of the fact that we know all the entities and the pieces of it, I still wanted to revisit. Yeah. yeah, I still wanted to go and interact with it again. He has a so, gorgeous billboard that is um, that he put up in L.A. I believe that was a, a picture of an empty bed. Mm. So I think you know his his work speaks so strongly to the trauma of loss, yeah. uh, the longing for what is gone or what you know is about to be gone, and that's something that to me it just like I, I choke up. Mm. In my book, Nature Poem, I had a little, uh, a part of it that read, I wish I could be the person who eats the candy at the Felix Gonzalez Torres exhibit. Not the one splashing (laughs) himself in the face with water in the bathroom, but we are who we are like jambalaya. (laughs) And I just want to remind all of you that on May 23rd, we are doing a live episode of Food for Thought that featured a discussion on my book, Nature Poem, that is also having its launch party that night. And on that note, Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rose. Our engineer is Tom Tierney at Spaceman Sound Studio in the heart of Industrial Greenpoint, New York, and our producer is Alexandra De Palma. I'm Tommy Pico. You can find me at HeyTeebs, H E Y T E E B S, on all relevant social media. I am Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on all social media. I am Dennis Norris II, and I'm drunk, but you can find me. <laughs> you can find me at the Earl Denden, T H E E A R L D E N D E N, on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes because every time you do, a gay angel gets its wings. Find yeah. us on Twitter <laughs> at Food for Thought Pod, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Sign up for our newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content at Food for Thought Podcast. And finally, email us with all your questions, thoughts, concerns, and we just might answer them on a future Penny for Your Thoughts segment at thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? T-H-O-T. Thanks for listening. Bye, Bye. See you in a couple weeks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.